that really warped my sense of who I was too. And as a young impressionable child, I, learned, I believed in the infallibility of my parents. So I didn't ever question that the problem was me and that there was something wrong with me that I could just never do things right. And, you know, I developed these beliefs about myself and my understanding of my identity from all these experiences. And then I went to school and, you know, I firmly believe that we, we train people on how to teach us or how to treat us. And so I would go to school understanding that I'm a big giant piece of crap and, and that, you know, I have no value as a human being. And so, of course, I was the outcast kid at school that, you know, everybody beat up and made fun of. And it just reinforced my self-beliefs. And I went all the way through high school and out into the adult world, you know, angry about that and resentful about what I perceived was, was my role in life, but never aware that maybe I was wrong about what was happening or that I had the power to change any of that. And so, you know, I immediately became an alcoholic as soon as I had access to alcohol. And alcohol made me feel better about myself when I was drinking, and it introduced me into a crowd of people that seemed to accept me. And, uh, and I didn't understand what I was doing at the time, but I was searching for acceptance and approval everywhere that I went. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Mental Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Lobos, and I'm super glad you're here because today we're going to get real deep, real deep with childhood trauma and masculinity. And if that scared you, you need to listen. So let me remind you of our mission. Our mission is to elevate, educate, empower, enrich, and evolve men to be on purpose, as on purpose as freaking possible. Why? So that they can reveal their most authentic self and live the most regret-free life possible and most fulfilling life possible. That's it. It's so simple, right? But most people aren't doing it. But guess what? You're here to learn just like I did, just like Aaron did, just like everybody here did in some capacity, right? Through these, through these shows, unless it's your first time and welcome. But today my guest is Justin Long. He's, he's, uh, he's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I had a brilliant conversation, very deep about childhood traumas, uh, 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 making meaning of things. I'm going to go into that in just a second, but let me remind you of our free resources. If you haven't already joined our Men on Purpose community on Facebook, you've got to. We are cranking up membership. Aaron and I are adding all kinds of free resources in there. We've got coaching in there. We've got literally everything you can imagine. We've got some new products we're going to be launching in there to help you guys, and we've got all different types of stuff. So whether you're at the beginning of your journey, or you're a super high-level guy that's just not fulfilled, but you're making a ton of money, we've got you. And then remember, we also have our front-runner events, our personal involvement retreats. They are the most purposeful thing you can do in a four- or five-day weekend to get yourself turned, shifted on your axis, and just blasting forward with purpose and intention and a plan and skills and new habits and structure and curriculum and, a, and literally, and a plan, an action plan moving forward. So whatever you need from us, we got you, whether it's one-on-one -on -one coaching, group coaching, our personal involvement, front-runner retreats, our free resources like this podcast or the Mental Purpose community, whatever. Just get involved. Just take action because people on purpose take action. That's it. Um, and if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, go on iTunes or wherever you subscribe or wherever you listen and hit that subscribe button on Mental Purpose Podcast. Okay, cool. You ready? Let me tell you about Justin Long. So Justin Long is an author. He's a business owner. He's the host of a podcast called Straight from the Horse Doctor's Mouth, which he produces with his wife, Erica. His best-selling book series, The Adventure of the Horse Doctor's Husband, has been enjoyed by readers all over the world. And while his wife's mission is to make the world a better place for horses, Justin's mission is to make the world a better place 
for people by helping men learn to understand themselves and grow into their fullest potential. Sound familiar? That's why this episode is so damn good. So his current book is called The Righteous Rage of a Ten-Year-Old Boy. It's raw. It's an intense examination of his childhood and, frankly, most of our childhoods because our parents didn't know what they were doing. They didn't work on themselves. They didn't have personal development in the capacity we do today. So we've got to give them a little bit of a break, all right? So the events that formed his negative self-image and his journey throughout therapy to overcome it all, we talk about emotionally damaged parents, we talk about seeking approval, we talk about primary caregiver failure, we talk about being a supportive partner, forgiveness, trauma therapy, breaking the cycle and actually letting go. We talk about traditional gender roles, cultural excuses, uh, being at peace when you become aware, the mob mentality, toxic masculinity, comparing your insides to others' outsides, revealing your most authentic self, vulnerability, freeing yourself from distraction, communication challenges, male emotions, your value and how to find it. This is a dynamite episode. And even if you don't associate the childhood that Justin had, like I didn't associate with that childhood. I didn't have a similar type of childhood, but my childhood still had trauma in it, just like yours did. Whether your parents beat the shit out of you or loved you too much, you got trauma. And we're going to teach you how to release that. Find your real authentic inner self. And rock that shit out. You ready? Here we go. Enjoy. All right, Justin, let's rock and roll, man. I am glad to be here. <laughs> I'm glad to have you here. Like I said before we started, your your one sheet uh, that the bookers sent over was really impressive and had a lot to do with what I love talking to other men about, which is their stuff, their trauma, their shit, the fear, the pain, the stuff that they got bred into them from childhood and the events that happened to them and subsequently how they formed their stories and their meanings around their life and what they are for the world. And then my fascination is how we can help men unravel that, reform that clay, totally new shape and, and actually like live authentically, reveal that authentic self and live the most fulfilling and regret-free life possible. That's what we're gonna be doing today. So for all the audience listening, you guys are in for a, a, a real treat. And this one's not gonna be the, might not be as fun because this is where the real work is. But if you are not happy with your life, if you're not happy with who you are, if you're not where you wanna be or have the relationships with yourself or with others that you wanna have, if you're not fulfilled, if you're living with regrets, this is the episode that you are gonna to wanna to listen to, right? I hope so. This man, everything you just <laughs> said describes most of my life. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, no, we'll deliver, man. We're going to deliver super high. Um, so tell us your background. What's, how, how are we now on this call together with you as an expert? Man, it is, the, the journey to get here has been amazing. But it started off rough and most of it sucked, i got to say. I, <laughs> I started off uh, with a, a really emotionally damaged set of parents. And my dad was just the, the the typical guy that can only display anger. You know, he ruled me with the iron fist and spent every waking moment, from my perspective, he spent every waking moment just dominating me. And my mom was, I mean, she was a trainingly different way. But um, but the two of them together, you know, had zero emotional tools to pass on to me and they're trying to raise a child. So my dad mm -hmm. was a a child of, of his own trauma. And I don't think that he ever got over that, but he, uh, and you know, I turned to alcohol in my adult life to, to deal with my childhood. My dad turned to work. He became a workaholic 
And so he would work all day at his job and come home and work half the night out in the garage on whatever project and, you know, trying to keep the house standing up and the cars running and all that. And as soon as he got home from work, I, my job was to, to be helping him do whatever. And I had a long list of chores that I had to do every day. But, you know, one of the examples that I use in my book is, is, is chopping firewood. It was my job to, to cut the, uh, chop the firewood and stack it. And my dad would come home from work and we would go out and inspect that firewood stack and instead of getting a pat on the back for having it full I would get a spanking for all of the pieces of firewood that were sticking out of line a little bit and so you know that that times a thousand with all all the different chores was was the way that my relationship with him worked it was that he would have an impossible expectation I would fail to meet it I would work as hard as I could and then I would fail and get punished and that really fucked up my understanding of who I am and what my capabilities are as a little kid. And on the other end of that spectrum was my mom, who was not a disciplinarian, but she couldn't handle the, the excitement and energy of a little kid. And so if, if I would be running through the house, making noise and, and doing the typical six-year-old kid things, you know, I would get in trouble if it was the wrong day. And, and she would make me pull the trash dumpster in from out back. And, and I would sit in the trash can and wait for my dad to come home to, to spank me for whatever it was that I did. And so, Damn. you know, that really warped my sense of who I was, too. And as a young, impressionable child, I, learned, I believed in the infallibility of my parents. So I didn't ever question that the problem was me and that there was something wrong with me that I could just never do things right. And, you know, I developed these beliefs about myself and my understanding of my identity from all these experiences. And then I went to school and, you know, I firmly believe that we we train people on how to teach us or how to treat us. And so I would go to school understanding that I'm a big, giant piece of crap and, and that, you know, I have no value as a human being. And so, of course, I was the outcast kid at school that, you know, everybody beat up and made fun of. And it just reinforced my self-beliefs. And... I went all the way through high school and out into the adult world, you know, angry about that and resentful about what I perceived was was my role in life, but never aware that maybe I was wrong about what was happening or that I had the power to change any of that. And so, you know, I immediately became an alcoholic as soon as I had access to alcohol. And alcohol made me feel better about myself when I was drinking, and it introduced me into a crowd of people that seemed to accept me. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I didn't understand what I was doing at the time, but I was searching for acceptance and approval everywhere that I went. And, and most of the ways that that displayed itself was, was either in, in people pleasing or just ridiculous competition with me feeling like I have to prove my value and worth all day, every day to everybody that I meet and everybody that I see. And, and it wasn't until I was in my mid thirties that I found my way into a recovery program and and got sober, which set me on a path that 10 years later ended me up in therapy. And I was able to to get a grip on who I am and and the truth about myself and change the way that I feel about myself and actually get my life turned around. Damn, man. It's, It's interesting because too often we hear stories like that where parents are not doing any of the work. They're not doing anything for themselves and yeah. for a little kid like i don't know if you have you have kids no i do not okay so i have two little kids my daughter's almost six my son's almost two and i think about them and i'm like man like if the house life like you were describing is just totally traumatic and nothing's ever good enough and you're constantly living in fear then you go to school and you're getting your ass kicked and you're not accepted there 
I mean, what kind of psyche does that form and foundation does that form for a little kid? Hence the reason why parents' number one job is to improve themselves so that they can have a better childhood relationship or a better relationship with their child. And mm -hmm. subsequently, hopefully, their child turns out a little bit less damaged than most of us have. You know what I mean? Right. That I'm sure there's going to be damage in other things, but, but like your story is not uncommon, which is crazy. Right. And even for no, guys like me, yeah, even for guys like me who had, I thought I had a, 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 a nice upbringing, but when I look back on it, there were so many traumatic things that formed who I was. I'm just, I feel like I'm fortunate enough to have not turned to alcohol, but I turned to work and mm -hmm. I hustled and hustled and hustled because that's where I found my value. That's where I found my approval. Money bought me things. It bought me into different circles. It, it helped me become uh, wanted and accepted and needed. And I always, I was already used to conditional love anyway. So why not, why not add another condition? And then right. the problem was when I lost all that money in my late twenties, all the, all the conditions came true. And it was like, oh, well, you don't have any money anymore? Well, you can't hang with our car club because you don't have that car. And you can't hang with us because you can't go on these trips. You can't, and, and, it, and it jacked me up again. But that's mm -hmm. when the real search for my true identity and to clear that trauma and that, that past program, which by the way, it wasn't bad. Like I never got beat up or spanked or anything like that, but it was just my parents' traumas, their bullshit that they never worked on fed right into me. I was the only child. I, there was no, there was no leverage. It was all on me. And my parents didn't do anything wrong. They just didn't do everything that would serve the situation in the best manner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what, yeah, I think it's what do you, what, the, the, Oh, I was just going to say that when go your go primary ahead. caregivers fail you like that and you don't, you don't have a resource at all because that's that's your only real resource for for knowledge for security for safety for emotional support and for someone to to tell you the truth about yourself until you can figure it out for yourself but yeah the other thing that i think is so important that most parents fail to teach their kids is that your value doesn't come from external things and when you're you're measuring your worth as a human being by whatever it is that you want to use as a measuring tape that's on the outside, you know, those things can change. The job can go away. Those things you don't have any control over, but they also don't define who you are. And I was in my forties before I understood that concept. And hmm. I spent most of my life trying to build my self-esteem around what I thought other people thought of me. So, you know, I always had to try to impress people yeah. or, or go overboard and, and be ridiculous and then as soon as you know the human failing happened and they didn't pay enough attention to me i felt rejected and and unworthy and all of that stuff you can't external validation is never a, a long-term answer to the the feeling of not feeling good enough about yourself yeah that is so that's so true and it's something that we in our coaching practice in our front runner events Anybody that just reaches out and calls me from this podcast, which is I probably talk to 25 people a week who reach out from hearing us talk about different concepts that register with them. It is amazing how much of the world, especially the men of the world, are programmed to be providers and provide something of value. Mm -hmm. But it's not programmed from the internal, it's programmed from the external. So it's either hard work or money or security and safety. And so when you look back on a 10 year period, 
without being super aware, you're like, oh my God, did I, did I even live for me one day? Is the, the golf trip or the, you know, the boat I bought or the sports car I bought or the house I live in, is any of that shit real? And that's what most men, you know, high, even not, not high level or not, that's what they face is, oh my God, I'm not, I'm not living for me. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're, we're still we're still defining our roles as, as men in, in society as if we live in the jungle and we're out fighting to live <laughs> or die and, and starve to death or not starve to death every day. Right. And none of those things apply to the real world. And it's, it's such an, an antiquated way to, to look at what you're supposed to be doing with your life. And, you know, even in gender roles, you know, I met my wife when I was 38 years old. And she's a, a veterinarian. She owns her own business. And she made way more money than I made at that time and was way more successful. I mean, she had confidence. She knew what she was doing with her life. She'd been already on that road for 20 years. And I didn't have any of those things. And I had a hard time reconciling the where I was at with where she was at and then us being in a relationship together. Like, as a man, I'm supposed to be the breadwinner and I have to make more money and, and I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to be, bring all these things to the relationship. I have to take care of her. And, like, she didn't need any of those things from me. And I'm really glad that I had that experience because it, it made me stop and reconsider what's actually important and, and do those things even define me and, and who I am and my value and what I bring to the world? And is it important how much money I make or is it important that, that I'm happy doing what I'm doing? Because I spent most of my life trying to be the primary breadwinner doing jobs that I hated because they paid more than mm -hmm. the jobs that you know, I wanted. And that at some point you realize that you're, you're miserable. You've made all the money, but you're miserable and, and you have zero things to look back on and be excited about when you, when you look at what you've done with your life. And I'm so glad that I, I saw that at, at 38 and I didn't have to wait till I was 58 or 78 or, you know, I, I see some people that don't ever come to that understanding. And I think it's a horrible no. way to live. Yeah. I mean, maybe they, they just don't want to know, but yeah, if you, you know, my dad said to me, I said to him about my real estate business. Um, he said it to me when I was leaving his business, which I was in business with him for a very long time uh, in the shipping business. And I loved it because I loved the shipping business because I loved being with him every day, being able to work with my dad, you know, you know, side by side and grow this company with him and, and just be with him. That was exciting for me. And I learned to love the shipping business because of that. And, um, and he said to me when I left, he said, you know, you're going to, ha you have to do this. Like you have to go. And I was like, dad, I mean, this is hard. Like it's our family business. And he said, yeah, but I got to let you go. You, you got to chart your own course. If you don't, you'll live with regret and that's no way to live. And then when that's I said a to him lesson. a couple, yeah, my dad, my dad has taught me so many great lessons. But when I, when I called him a couple years ago, maybe even like two years ago and I said, look, I, the real estate business sales business isn't for me anymore. You know, I built this big company and I was making a lot of money and I'm just unfulfilled. There's no passion in it. There's no, I'm just no fulfillment. What do I do? You know, do I walk away from a business generating me a shit ton of cash every year just to follow my dream and my passion and find fulfillment? And he's like, yeah, hundred yep. <laughs> percent. Because if you don't, if you think, you know, regret now, try being in your sixties and not being able to go back, try being in your eighties and not being able to do anything about it. You don't have the energy, the stamina, the, the flexibility, the, the drive is gone.
Not to say that when you're 80, your drive is gone, but, um, but you know, when you go a whole lifetime and then all of a sudden you realize at that point, the regret you'll feel is worse than you've ever felt in your entire life. So whatever you want to do, just go chase it because you know if you fail and fall flat on your ass, you've got the skills, habits, talent to build yourself back up again and again if you need to. But That's you'll right. never regret not doing it or you'll never regret doing it. You'll regret not doing it. And that was hard as hell to walk away from it that is. business and follow the coaching, follow the coaching route. And it's interesting because my partner and I yesterday, we were talking about it. Well, yesterday when we're recording this and I said to him, you know, it's, it's crazy. People keep saying to me, I want to be as passionate like you are about coaching. And I came to this realization that I'm not passionate about coaching. I'm passionate about building systems, processes, procedures, and curriculum that help people transform their lives and get what they actually want out of life. My fulfillment comes from coaching. And I got really clear on that yesterday. And that came from not wanting to live with regrets. That's why the one piece of our mission is you know, the finite piece, the absolute non-negotiable is to live a life with no regrets because you can never turn the clock back, you know, ever, ever. I, I think that's so important. And it's for me, it's been part of my journey is to understand who I really am when I, when I stop trying to live for other people and start living for me and understand who I am, what I like, what it is that I want to do. And when I started finding those answers, I was so far away and going a completely different direction in my life than where it was that I wanted to be going. And I think that finding, finding that true direction, A, it took time, but B, it also took a supportive partner. That was one of the, the biggest gifts that my yeah. wife has given me is allowing me the freedom to, to figure out what it is that I want to do and who it is that I'm trying to become. And the, the satisfaction and in, in, in my life is so night and day to where it's ever been before. And I've been all over the world and done a lot of crazy things in my life, but it was all in pursuit of trying to, to fe feel differently about myself. And the only real yeah. way to do that is for me to, to, to understand who I am and to be true to who I am and not make compromises to try to impress other people. Right. And yeah. it's just, I hate to see so many people that are doing stuff that they don't want to do for someone else who, who probably doesn't even understand the sacrifice that's being made or appreciate it. And it's all for nothing anyway, because at the end of your life, you know, if you've been miserable the whole time, you're not going to be proud of, of the things that didn't matter. You know, when you talk to old people who are at the, at the end of a, a happy, fulfilled life, it's all about the relationships that they've made along the way and the, the creations that they've been able to, to contribute to the world you know, what, whatever it happens to be, but it's always the people who are passionate about what they're doing are the ones that have a, a satisfied life. And, you know, there's no time like right now to turn that around and get on the right path if you're not doing that already. Yeah, I have one question I want to ask you, and then we're going to get into some action steps because I know that somebody's in their car right now going, all right, Justin, well, tell me how to do it, buddy. You know what I mean? Like, it sounds really great. <laughs> tell me how to do it. Yeah. But first I want to ask you, did you... One of the biggest things that I do in our coaching business is we've got to have forgiveness and we've got to clear the space where the regret and resentment lies from or, or stems from with a parent or a teacher. Did you ever get any clearance or were you ever able to talk to your dad about your childhood experience and actually get clear from that? You know, I got sober in 2008 and that was when I really started trying to, to come to terms with all of this stuff. But my dad was killed in a car wreck in 2004. 
So oh, no. I, I, uh, while my relationship with him had improved slightly, like I, I joined the army to get away from home the, the second I was done with high school. And I would go back occasionally as an adult and, and we, you know, slowly trying to just forget and pretend like nothing had happened and, and sort of start from scratch as an adult. But, you know, we made a little bit of progress down that road, but I never, ever talked to him about any of the stuff that happened. And, and today, you know, now that, that I am, I have the understanding that I do of, of all of the things, you know, I have the perspective of, of some time and some knowledge about how psychology works and, and cycles of yeah. generational behaviors and all that. I would love to sit down with my dad and just really have a heart to heart. You know, I think that would make a great podcast. If I could sit down with my mom and my dad who are both dead and really talk yeah. about this stuff, I think that um, it would help me get some you know fill in some gaps in my understanding but i think it would help a lot of people who who go through the same sort of challenges with their parents because everybody has a, a challenging relationship with their parents in one way or another so and and yeah. uh it's I, th I think that it's still important even though my dad was dead it was really important for me to go through the process and therapy of of writing down all of the stuff and talking it out and getting down to the core of the feelings and, you know, one of the really big, big things that, that, that happened for me in therapy, I did uh, EMDR, which is trauma therapy. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, we had to go back to those, those childhood memories of, of all of those traumatic events. And it was mostly emotional abuse on my end. But, but looking at those from my adult perspective and, and realizing that, you know, I, I might have gotten a spanking for stacking the firewood, but it's not because I did anything wrong. It was because, you know, my dad was, yeah. was messed up and warped in his understanding of how to, how to encourage me to be the best that I could be. And, you know, we went and visited hundreds of those types of childhood events and went through the memories and, and every one of them ha basically had the same ending. And that's what my book is all about is, is reattaching, you know, different emotions to those memories and understanding that I was not a failure in any of those situations, that I did mm -hmm. all the things that I was supposed to do. You know, the fact that my mom put me in the trash can doesn't mean that I was a piece of trash. I mean, my mom was fucked up and yeah. that had nothing yeah. to do with me. It never had anything to do with me. And being able to understand those things and just recognize that my parents were broken people and then forgive them for that. You know, they, they were raised by broken people too. And broken people make broken people. It happens over and over until someone breaks the cycle. And, yeah. you know, I, I recognize those things and, and I understand where my parents were at and, and I, I don't harbor any resentment against them anymore. And I think that's a really important part of the process. Yeah, I mean, for, for people listening right now who are like, man, I, I had these fucked up things happen to me when I was a kid. How do I forgive? How do I let that go? I'm going to tell you my answer is you just make a decision to do it. You make a decision right. to stop holding on to it and let it stop powering you and decide on how to get something else to power you. What's your, what's your um, uh, uh, example or, or answer for that? Like, how do you do that? How do you just let it go? I mean, it was so traumatic. It was so hard. It was so this. I got the, well, I got the cigarette burns on my arm to prove it. Like, how do you do that how do you just let it go i think for me a lot of it was getting outside of myself and kind of getting a, a third-party perspective on on my life and what i was doing and my therapist did a great job of shining the flashlight on the obvious things like you know 
there's a guy that's that's in the ground. He's been dead for 16 years, and he's dictating everything that you do. I mean, he's not doing that totally. from any living point, no 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 vantage point anywhere in the world. It's all inside your head that that's happening. And I yeah. think just finally realizing that, yeah, I'm I'm letting a ghost in my head drive my <laughs> my insecurities and my decisions and the and the relationships that I have and the way that I feel about myself, and I. I absolutely have the power to stop doing that. And so, like you said, it's a decision to, to take control and, and no longer be dominated by someone else, whether it's a memory or a person. And those things in the past happened and they were messed up and, it, and that was, I was a victim of that and that sucked and that's okay because if I hadn't gone through all of that stuff, I wouldn't have the comparison point to be able to look at where I'm at today and compare it to, to sure. where I started out and feel great about myself and the progress that I've made. So I think that's really yeah. important, too, is, is understanding that everything had to happen for me to be who I am and get where I am. And, I, and, and I'm probably unlike a lot of people. I, ex, I get excited every time I have a birthday because every year of my life for the last 10 years has been better than the year before it. And, you know, that makes me that gives me hope. I, I have so much to look forward to. I don't think that I've even hit my, my best days yet. I think all of that is still in front of me because I've I've got a ton of potential and I've got a lot of energy and I've got resources to to do things and be amazing and and all of the things that i always wanted to be and, and never believed in myself to do and you know I, I never had that before i was probably 35 36 years old and actually having a sense of of purpose and and a sense that that i have value and i have something to contribute to the world and that i haven't hit my potential cap yet like that's exciting for me that's very exciting I want to ask you a question about, uh, you had mentioned something before, and I just know that there's somebody out there, I'm, I'm thinking of someone very specific in mind, I'm not going to say who it is, who um, had the same kind of, of, has the same kind of situation you did with a, um, your spouse, who is the breadwinner, so to speak, and mm -hmm. dealing with that, you know, reversal of traditional gender roles. How did you move through that or, or accept that or let it go or whatever you want to say? How did you, how did you get past that? That happened for me at a good time in my life, I think, because I had already examined and rejected a lot of beliefs that I had about the world and, and, and my place in it and other people's place in it. And, you know, I grew up in an environment where I learned very strict beliefs about you know, people based on, on their their sexual identity and their race and all of these things. And, you know, I was in my 30s before I started really trying to examine why I even have these beliefs and, and ideas in my head. And I started overturning those things. So I had made a ton of progress on changing all kinds of ideas. And by the time I got to gender roles in, in a marriage, I was very very willing to to reject what i had in my head as, as probably being wrong because most of the things that i was raised to believe i, I now believe were wrong so yeah it's i think the the critical part of all of that is just being willing to examine what you believe and why you believe and be willing to change your mind sounds simple enough it really sounds simple enough but it goes so deep so much deeper than that because the beliefs that were instilled in us as a kid most of them, for most of us, are not right. They're, right. I mean, maybe they're not wrong, but they don't serve our lives at all. And it's what somebody else believes. It's what somebody, yeah. I mean, it's, 
There was a really, uh, one of the early, early, early like personal development courses I did, somebody said, um, it was about uh, 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 this, this woman in her kitchen uh, making a, a leg of lamb and putting the lamb in this pan, but she cut the, the like six inches of the end off. And, uh, oh, sorry, she, she watched her mom do that. And she said, hey, mom, you know, by the way, the pan's big enough, like, you don't have to cut the end off. She goes, yeah, well, that's just what you do. And so the girl started making the leg of lamb for her family. And the husband said, why are you cutting the end off? Like, the whole thing fits in the pan. Is there some kind of secret or anything? And she goes, you know what? I don't know. I've just been watching my mom and my grandmother do it. So they go back to the grandmother, and the grandmother said, uh, I don't know, but my mom... My mom used to do it because she couldn't afford a pan big enough, so she would just cut it off. So literally that belief that you have to cut the end of the lamb off, like that, <laughs> that sounds so simple, but that's how beliefs span generations. Nobody Absolutely. questions it. And, and all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm spending 30 minutes sawing through a bone when I don't have to because mm -hmm. nobody understood the genesis of it until now. But that actually is just a, a small, like, scratching of the surface of how we actually get beliefs from our parents because they're just instilled and instilled and instilled and instilled. They're based on fear or insecurities or things like that or, or being safe, uh, hiding from their parents, things like that. I just, there's a, um, a question I want to ask you about culture. You know, I live in Los Angeles and there's a, there's a lot of different cultures here. And it's interesting because I come from a, a, a Sicilian family and there is a cultural excuse, in my opinion. We're Italian. That's what we do. We're Irish. That's what we do. We're, yeah. we're um, you know, we're, we're French. That's what we do. We're Middle, Middle Eastern. That's what we do. And how, how in your opinion, does that, in, in, it's an excuse to me because it's, a, it's an excuse to not break through and do the work. And, like, in your opinion, um, how does someone get through that, especially when they're in a, a deep culture, you know what I mean? Like really deep seated culture that has very long, you know, thousands of years beliefs. How does someone break that knowing that they've got to deal with their parents or the rest of their family and that they're going to be different now, or they're going to stand up to something they never had. And how do you do that? How do you break that cycle? I think it's really hard and it's not one like that's That's one of the one things I didn't have to deal with. And most of that because I've, I've always been on the outside. I, I was, I'd never felt plugged into to my family and I never felt plugged into a, a group of any real sort. But yeah. it's absolutely everywhere. And it's so much of it is just like what we were talking about. Like, this is just how we were raised. This is, this is the way we've always done it. And I don't, I don't know why I do this. But I, and I, I have a, an example that I use. Um, on the rare occasion that, that we ate a steak when I was a kid, my dad always burned them to a crisp. And so I yeah. went into adulthood believing that the only way to eat a steak is, is well, well, well done. And <laughs> I was like, I think I was 33 uh, the first time that someone talked me into eating a, a medium rare steak at a steakhouse. And, and yep. that, was the, that was one of the early events that just shattered my whole understanding of how the world <laughs> works, you know? Because up until that point, yeah. I hadn't really questioned any of the things that my parents taught me, that, that I just believed because this is, what, this is how we did it in my family. But, uh, you know, that, I realized that medium rare steak was amazing. And I realized yeah. every steak that I'd ever had before, that was horrid. <laughs> and I've been wrecking that all right. my life. But, 
you know, when, when that's the way it's, it's always been done in our family, I, I think that we, we unconsciously, because we're tribal, you know, we, we unconsciously just continue these things and teach our kids that this is how we do it. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with being tribal. But the problem in our society happens when we become so tribal that we can't tolerate anybody who's not in our tribe. And when yeah. we use, when we weaponize our belief systems and, and our traditions and say that if, if, you know, this is the only way it can be. And if you don't do it this way, then, then I will kill you. And, you know, you, you can't be part of, yeah. of any of this collective. And so, again, I really think that it's, it's about understanding why you believe what you believe and also being having a realistic awareness of how important it is in the grand scheme of things. And is this a deal breaker issue? Is this something that I am willing to go to the mat and, and fight and potentially lose or die over? Am, am I willing right. to make a giant sacrifice for this belief? And I will tell you for 99% of them, the answer is no, they're just not that important. But until right. you examine it and, and make that a conscious decision rather than a knee jerk reaction, it will always be yeah. a go to the mat and die for it decision. Yeah, well, it's emotionally charged. And we saw that with the last election. I mean, it was a fucking yeah. embarrassment to this country. And regardless of who you were voting for, it was a fucking embarrassment. And, and I mean, I have friends in Europe. I have friends in the Middle East. I have friends in Asia who were like, wow, man, are you going to stay there? And I said, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, it's a, that's a big question. I'm not sure. Let's, let's see how this actually pans out. But from what it looks like right now, I mean, this isn't a proud day in America. I don't care what you, what you believe in and if you are right now listening to this and saying, oh, Ian, you're, you're so wrong. You couldn't be any more wrong. Then maybe you need to like rewind this and take a listen to what we have just said about belief patterns right. and where they were instilled from and, and why you're willing to go to the mat and die for this. But I guarantee you with a gun to your head, you would change your belief pattern in a second. 99% yeah. of those people would change your belief. The hardcore one, the one that's climbing the Capitol building to try and do whatever they were going to do. You change your belief in a heartbeat. You're not, you're not married to that. You're married to that based on fear and based on the, the, the tribalism and the, and the inclusion of the rest of yeah, these absolutely. morons that believe the same thing you do. Yep. Fair. I mean, that that's just group think is so powerful. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's that mob mentality. You know, I think, you know, I've been total victim of that myself and, you know, doing things that I actively don't believe in simply because the group of people that are, that's around me is, is going that direction. And I just I want to feel accepted and included more than I want to do what I believe in. And that's a dangerous yeah. place to be. And I think a lot of people get sucked into that. It's that feeling of acceptance is more important than anything else. I mean, what do they do, though? Aren't you just going to be. Let's break that down for a second for people that are listening who are just starting to be kind of come aware and the light is shining in a little bit. I mean, doesn't your resentment and regret continue to build and then your substance abuse or however you avoid, you know, Aaron and I in our in our uh, in our coaching business and our front runner uh, retreats call them angles of avoidance. And they don't have to just be hardcore stuff like gambling and drugs and alcohol. They can be golf on the weekends or six hours of football or not coming home until your kids are in bed because you don't want to deal with them. Like there's a lot yeah. of angles of avoidance. I mean, I, I labeled. I shot a video on this a couple of months ago, back in July, in our in our Men on Purpose Facebook group, our Facebook community. I had like 55, 55 angles of avoidance, Ooh. and isn't doesn't that just continue to perpetuate how like somebody's already damaged anyway? They're seeking fulfillment and love and inclusion in these groups, and then all of a sudden they're doing things against their will potentially, but they just have to be fit. They have to fit in, and now they're 
they're just compounding the amount of, of trauma and bullshit that's in their brain and in their psyche because they're, they're literally against the grain in every aspect of their entire life. Definitely. And for me, I think a lot of that developed because my circle of people was so small to begin with. And I worked, I worked as, a, as, a, as a civilian mechanic on a, on a military base. And most of the guys that I worked with were veterans and, you know, and there's a lot of, a lot of emotional trauma in that, that subset of sure. society all by itself. But there's also a lot of, of toxic masculinity and machismo and, and just bullshit. Everybody happened to be the toughest guy so that nobody realizes that maybe they're not the toughest guy. Right. And, and I was total victim of that, but that was, that was my entire peer group that that was who i worked with I, I hung out on the weekends and drank with the same guys that i worked with and i didn't have anybody yeah. outside of that circle and that was part of the problem for me is that i didn't have any place to go for me to stop doing this stuff that i don't really like doing i, I that means i have to abandon everyone that i know and I'm, then i'm completely alone and i'm probably still totally. stuck working with these guys which, which makes it awkward too which is and weird yeah it, it wasn't until i've, I've met my wife and moved to Florida and, and got introduced to a, a completely different group of people that was much more in alignment with what I found important in the world. Uh, it blew me away. Like I didn't, I didn't know that those people existed again because I didn't have any exposure to anybody else. It was just like, you know, when I was in my twenties and I didn't understand why everybody else looked like they had their shit together. And I felt like a train wreck right. on the inside. It's because I, I didn't have anything else to compare myself to. I was comparing the way I felt to the way everybody else looked. And the same thing happened with, you know, what, what I believed in and, and the people that I was around. I didn't know that there were other people out there because I just hadn't run across them. So I think one of the big steps for maybe trying to extricate yourself from a situation like that is once you've figured out, you know, what you do believe and what direction you, you want to go, is to don't be afraid to, to replace the people in your life with different people. And there's so many ways to meet people these days. The social avenues are, are all over the place compared to 10 or 15 years ago and any time before that. So I think uh, being willing to step out of the comfort zone and go meet some strangers and try to put some people in your life that are more in alignment with what you believe is a great way to start. And doing that in sure. a social setting where you have control and you can walk away and there's there's no... You know, no hard feelings. If that doesn't work out, we try something different, right? But A, be willing to, to take a risk and, and do that and be willing for it to not work and try something else. If it doesn't, doesn't work out on the first try, don't quit, you know? It's, uh, it's being, you know, committed to, to finding some change. But isn't that real power, being able to go into a subset? I mean, like, I've, I've met a lot of people out here in L.A. I, I don't call all of them back after we hang because I realized that it just didn't fit what I was looking for and there was nothing wrong with it. It just didn't fit what I was looking for. Cause I'm very cool, like confident in that, what I'm looking for and where I'm looking to invest my time. But you said right. something, you, you said something I kind of want to dig into a little bit. Um, and I think, I think this is a challenge with all human beings, not just men, but you, you said comparing your insides to others outsides. That's a great line. And I learned that a long time ago in a, a personal development seminar, like probably 2012, where you cannot compare how you feel inside to how other people are looking like they feel on the outside. It's a dangerous thing. It's maybe the most deadly thing you can do 
is assume that because of what someone looks like that they have their shit together versus you who are feeling on the inside. Because that, guess what? That guy that you're looking at, he's looking at you the same exact way. Like, man, that guy's got his shit together, <laughs> you know? And, right. uh, and you're thinking the opposite. And so how does somebody, how does somebody like, what can they, how can they combat that? How can they, they start to shift that mindset and, and look at everybody else without comparison? It's really hard not to compare yourself, but the first thing to know is that if somebody looks like they really got their shit together, you don't know them very well. And the better you get yeah. to know anybody, the more you realize <laughs> that we're all the same and we all have doubts and fears and we don't know 100% what we're doing and we're figuring it out as we go. You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts with like people at the very top end of their game, whether it's sports or business or, or whatever it is. And every one of them talks about the fact that they they have that you know they feel like a fraud they they yeah. don't know as much as they think they should know to do what it is that they're doing and when you realize that you know if you look at the olympics you got a hundred people that are really really good at, at one thing every one of them thinks that everybody around them is really really good at that thing and that they probably shouldn't be there that they're the one that doesn't yeah. fit but you know, that's that's the thing is is knowing that that everybody is wearing their best face most of the time, especially when yeah. they're out in public. And the way to really get to know somebody and find out, you know, how they really live their life is to start spending a lot of time with them. Go to their house and hang out with them you know, on evenings or weekends or something. And yeah. you, you start understanding that, you know, no matter who it is, no matter how high they are on the ladder or how low they are on the ladder, they're they're just the same as you are on the inside. Some people are better at wearing a mask than other people, but I didn't. My problem was that I was so naive for so long that I didn't know that most people were wearing a mask. It never occurred to me because I wear my emotions on my sleeve. I'm so wide open about everything that I feel because I, I wasn't raised to have any filters. I don't know how to manage my emotions. And so I assume that uh, everybody else is, is being truthful about what they feel and what they think. And the truth is that most of them are not. And especially, you know, if if I'm being the if I'm the idiot in the room, that's that everybody else is like, oh, Jesus, no, nobody's going to tell me that nobody's going to be honest about who they are, put themselves in my in my crosshair so that I can go, you know, make their life a mess. So it's and, and whether it's me being bad or me being good, you know, I can't compare the way that I feel to the way the other people look because I'll lose every time, no matter what. Yeah. And. Yeah. And it's it's going to happen. It's it's an automatic reaction when I when I see somebody that really impresses me or intimidates me. And that's the worst is when I'm when I find somebody that intimidates me, I have such a horrible reaction to that. But but being aware that no matter what it is, I probably have a false reading and I definitely am not seeing the big the full picture on who they are. Sure. Yeah, you know, I, I had to learn that a long time ago in the real estate business, even in my dad's business, but it really came out in the real estate business because a lot of people dress like they are really successful. And when you mm. walk into a room, like when I first started in real estate, I had no money. I was broker than broke. And man, my, my wife and I scraped together money to buy shoes at Target for me, like loafers. And I was wearing these, these like crappy pants from Old Navy dress pants. And I felt like, how can I ever impress anybody with with this outfit on when everybody else has a suit on and like nobody's going to do business with me. And it, and it was like shutting me down. But when right. I became really successful very quickly in real estate wearing those target shoes and I realized when I started looking at the behind the scenes numbers, cause they're all public 
when I started looking at the numbers, sales numbers of these guys that were driving S-Class Mercedes Benzes and, and wearing these fancy ass suits, I'm like, holy shit, I've doubled what they do. And I'm still wearing Target shoes. And it taught me so much, especially out here where I live in L.A. You, you have, I mean, ego runs this town. I mean, it, it's like, it's paradise out here. And you don't know who's got cash and who doesn't. I mean, you can obviously assume the guy in the Rolls Royce has cash, but right. you don't know. I mean, somebody might be funding that. Somebody could be, could, could be a, a Ponzi scheme that's, that's waiting for its day and, and on American greed. You know, you never know. Mm-hmm. And then there's the people that, that just go out and hustle and make it. And, and there's no differentiation. The Rolls Royce that they drive is the Rolls Royce that they drive. It is what it is. Yeah. But how does somebody not, how does somebody, so like, like, like I said, part of my mission is to help high level men reveal their most authentic self, right? And not have to worry about the clothes or the job or the car or the house or the vacations or the whatever. How does someone actually become who they want to be, who they don't even know they could be? Like, how do they start to clear the weeds a little bit to see what that potential is? I think it's so important to to own who you are and to not try to deviate from that. Don't don't ever try to impress other people because that's that's validation seeking behavior, right? So, when, but is that you is are, that the case? Is that the thing though? Is that the catalyst? I, I no, I think I think that's the the foundation thing. Is that that when you're seeking when you build all of these goals, and and you try to get to the emotional driver behind those goals? Why is this my goal? Is it to impress someone else so that they'll feel a certain way about me? Like that's the stuff that you have to abandon. When you look at the at the people who are truly great achievers at, at whatever it is that they do none of those people are trying to be someone else they're all being their true authentic self and they have the confidence to not worry about what people think about that because when you yeah. are 100 percent who you are some people are going to love you for that and some people are going to hate you for that and it's okay yeah. either way it goes it doesn't matter what other people think when, when you start yeah. following your dreams to satisfy yourself and to to build your own sense of identity and it's going to change. It doesn't just have to be one specific thing that you can never change your mind about. Mine's evolved, you know, a hundred times in the last five years. But I think it's not worrying about what other people think and being being okay with being vulnerable. And I will tell you about vulnerability. It's for me, it is such a freeing thing. As I wrote this book, the the righteous rage of a ten year old boy, and I put every secret about bad feelings that I ever had about myself in this book and put it out for the world to see. And that's, that's it was a terrifying thing in the beginning, but the more I talk about it and, and the conversations that that has driven with people is unbelievable, but I don't have any fear of anybody coming at me with anything anymore because I've already put all my secrets out there. You know, I've, I've given everybody all the stuff. Right. So it, it's, it's not a weapon anymore. You know, secrets are, are what really tear us apart. And I think when, whether that secret is a, is a feeling that you have about yourself or something that's happened to you at some point in the past or something that you did, you know, the, the, the great fear that we have as a human being that somebody is going to find out those secrets. And I think that yeah. when you can let those secrets go and not worry about all of that stuff and just be, be who you are and, and what, warts and all, you know, with all the mistakes and all the horrible shit we've done. And I've done a ton of horrible things in my life that I'm ashamed <laughs> of. But 
not not letting that stuff own me you know that's who i was on that day this is who i am today and i am proud of who i am today and this is what i'm doing today and if you want to be a part of that that's great and if you don't that's also great i don't want you dragging me down if you don't believe in what i'm doing and it's it's framing that mentality and most of that comes with confidence but it's it's a it's a package thing of believing in yourself until you can believe in yourself and and surrounding yourself with people who will support you regardless of what's going on and yeah. just not worrying about what other people think about that and and that's at any level and you know if if you're the kid on the on the playground or if you're the the CEO of the 10 billion dollar company it's it's the exact same concept the things that are going to tear you down are the same and the things that are going to make you great are the same you know it doesn't matter yeah. what what station you are in life it's the, all the internal tools the the emotional things that that build us up and tear us down are the same for everybody yeah so uh, the one thing i wanted to dig into from the beginning of this 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 segment is like that one little catalyst that one little piece that someone can that, that pops up in their head or their thought or their awareness and they go okay this isn't for me this isn't authentic so like that's what i was asking about is how does someone know when they're not being authentic very quickly because they could be in total denial like no i really want this but in the, the moment that they start thinking about this is what actually i was thinking about when you were saying this the moment that you start thinking about what others will think about this thing I'm going to do or buy or say is the moment that you step out of your authenticity and step into worrying about what people think. Is that right? I think so. And to a degree, you know, I'm a professional guy. I, I need to project a professional image. We, we have a business. Sure. I have a couple of businesses. And so, you know, to, to the effect that I can't, you know, drive around in, in a truck that's got 17 different trucks cobbled together into one and, and try to right, convince right. people that I'm a successful business person and they should give me their money right. and their trust, right? So you have to put out an image that's consistent with who you are and what it is that you're doing. But that's different than buying the, the bright yellow Corvette simply because you know people are going to look at you and think that you must be yeah. amazing when you go down the road. And if you yeah. if you are yeah. a, a car guy and you love everything about the horsepower and the way that the interior is designed on that car and that's a completely different thing than, than needing yeah. the, the ego stroke of someone looking at you and thinking that you must be more than you are. And I think most of us know when we're doing that. And, you know, I, I bought a new truck a couple of years ago. I got a big one-ton truck, and it's nice, and it's got a 12-inch screen in the dash, and I feel like I'm driving somebody else's truck when I'm in that. And sometimes I, I, I get that twinge of, you know, I'm, I'm taking this truck instead of my other truck, which is more of a beater simply because I don't, you know, I don't want people to see me in that. And I, and I have to check myself on that and be like, all right, you know, there's sure. no reason for me to, to drive the big diesel truck when I can drive my little half-ton pickup and get this job done. I'm just going right. to the feed store. And the opinion of the 19-year-old the kid loading the, the feed bags in my truck doesn't really have anything to do with how I feel about myself. But, but I have to remind myself oh. of that because I fall victim to it just like everybody else. And it's mostly because I spent most of my life seeking that approval and that attention from somebody else that... You know, I'm very aware of when I do it, but I wasn't for a long time. I had to train myself, and most of it is just any time that I'm making a decision, if, if, it's, if it's something that's questionable, maybe I stop and, and check myself on, you know, why, why am I doing this? What's, what's my motivation yeah. behind this? And, and if, I'm, if I'm needing the approval of someone else in that moment, what is lacking in my system that I'm doing for myself? What, what, what belief am I giving credence to that's not true? 
Because the truth is, yeah. I don't need anybody else's approval because I approve of myself. But I still have to, yeah. you know, work work my way to that answer every day. So what we're really talking about here is removing distractions to determine and and get into a, a self love pattern and self value pattern that only you can control. Only you have to control. You don't need the outside world to control it, right? I mean, that's that's removing distractions is like. Like think about the distraction of you're looking out at your two trucks and you just have to go to the feed store real quick. Think about the distraction that is in that moment, whether it's for five seconds or five minutes, there's a distraction there. And when you compound those distractions over an entire, forget about a day, an entire hour of how many things are you're distracted by based on something external. When you can remove those distractions, that in my opinion is how people can really tap into who they are and find those, those deep down uh, wells of, of love and information within themselves that they've been seeking from the outside world for so long. When you clear that, when you let that brain be in power. It's so hard to do. I think, you know, yeah. like all things in, in my life, I have, I call it, I, I call it living with intention because yeah. I spent most of my time just being reactionary and going from, you know, like a pinball, just bouncing off of one thing into totally. another. And, and living that, that intentional life and making intentional decisions, it, it means questioning myself like on a regular basis. But you're talking about removing those trappings. When I, and this, this, most of this happened for me in therapy. When I stopped worrying about what other people think of me and just start being, you know, in, in my daily activities, doing things that, that are congruent with my goal and that are going to get me to, to the, the end that I'm looking for in whatever the situation is, you know, getting rid of that, that need for someone else's approval on what I'm doing, whether it's driving down the road or, or what I'm wearing or, or the website that I built for somebody, you know, nobody's, none, none of that stuff matters. And it's, it's the clutter that fills up so much of our time is trying to impress other people, trying to, to manage the, the image on this or that. And, and manage other people's perceptions of, of who we are and what we're doing and being able to set yeah. that stuff down with intention and say, I'm not worried about any of that. You know, like in, in the, the feed store case, you know, I get that moment to think about that when I'm like, okay, I have to unhook the, the horse trailer from that truck in order to take it to the feed store. So why am I willing to do that when all I'm doing is getting three bags of feed? You know, that will, right. you know, that's, that's when I'm, I'm getting intentional is taking that moment to examine why, why I'm doing this. But the distractions are, I mean, there's a million of those, you know, the whirlwind of the world around us, though, and we're trying to make our way through it, is like th those distractions are what keep us from ever achieving our goals to begin with. We get so wrapped up in the stuff that doesn't matter, and we don't, don't actually have enough time to do the stuff that does matter. And I think that's the, that's the great trap that, that so many of us fall into, and I've fallen into it just like everybody else, but it's, it's the, it's the distractions that, that will tear us down to the ground. Yeah, a hundred percent. So two more things I want to talk to you about is, um, male emotion in our societal pressure of, and look, this isn't all of society, but it's a majority of being tough and not showing emotion and keeping your head down and getting through it or powering through it. And there's also that hustle and grind bullshit mentality with, with a lot of people that we know in business who are just in this like hustle, grind, 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 keep your head down and get, get it done. But 
there's an entire other world that you're missing, which is mainly yourself, your spouse, your children, your communication, sex and love. Like there's all kinds of stuff going on there. How can men, because I mean, this is a vulnerable topic and this is a, you know, it's, it's tough. It's still tough for me to cry in front of my wife, even when I'm feeling really emotional because I've got this like, program, not from my parents, by the way, just from guys I hung out with in high school and mm -hmm. college. It was just, it was not a thing. Now I have many good friends today who I could call and cry to all day long. And I do, but, um, it's rare. So two things, one is how do men tap into that and just make it okay within themselves to become emotional, even if it's in private. And how do you seek out or find other men who are more well-rounded and join them up, join up with them to be able to express yourself fully? That's a tough one. It's <laughs> so heavy, but I also think it's so important. I grew so up, important. you know, like I talked about earlier with my dad, his only emotion was rage. It was the only thing he ever showed. And so yeah. I didn't have good examples of, of how to properly feel your feelings and how to express things. Like, you know, as a, as a young man going out into the world on my own, I didn't even know how to express affection because my parents had such a weird, emotionally devoid relationship that I didn't understand how, how a couple should treat one another. And, and I also didn't understand that, that all of the feelings that I felt inside are normal and, and that everyone has those. I, I felt like I was alone in that and that there was something wrong with me. And I remember in my early 20s seriously considering if, you know, if I should check myself into a loony bin of some sort because, you know, <laughs> I've got all of this crazy stuff going on inside and, and I, don't, I don't know how to manage it. I, I don't even know how to identify half of it. And, you know, some of it was feeling, feeling guilty about having the feelings that I felt. And I think a lot of that came from, you know, my mom punishing me, put me in the trash can when, when I felt excited. So I have this whole guilt association with, with being excited about something. And that, I still struggle with that. I'm working on that today. And feeling like, you know, no matter what I feel that I need to change that. And, and I did that for a long time. I, I changed, I regulated my emotions with alcohol and with cigarettes. Like if I, yeah. if I got excited, I would smoke a cigarette to calm down. If I was angry, I would smoke a cigarette to change that. I would, I would smoke a cigarette right. no matter what I felt to just to try to feel different. And I didn't understand for a long time that it is okay for me to feel the way that I feel right now, whether that's good or bad. And it's important for me to, to sit with the feeling and, and let it be what it is and know that it's going to pass and change into something else. And that, you know, I can't be hurt by my feelings. And the fact that I have these feelings don't mean that there's something wrong with me or that I'm less than, or that I'm not a man or, or whatever the label is that we want to put on it. And when I realized that everyone else around me has feelings and we're all choking them back, and I start understanding how my attempts to repress my feelings display and then I start recognizing that behavior in other people. And I realize, okay, this guy's not willing to feel what he's feeling. And so rage is, is the number one, it's a topical emotion. And we all get angry when we're feeling yeah. something else. And we use anger to, to mask that and hide it. And I think it's important to, to recognize in ourselves when we're, when we're doing that, when we're diverting, when we're trying to change the way that we feel instead of just accepting the way that we feel and being okay with it, when we're trying to hide it. 
like everything else, it's, it's being intentional about let's look at this, let's, let's examine it and figure out what it is that I'm feeling and why I'm feeling and know that it's okay for me to feel this way. You know, it's and a lot of it is when we get triggered, when we have insecurities that get triggered. And I'll tell you where mine happened the most these days is with AT&T. And I don't want to get sued by AT&T, but <laughs> uh, we, you know, our, our business phones and Internet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not representative of this podcast. Or it says, no, no. <laughs> but, you know, everything, every interaction I have with AT&T is an absolute disaster. But yeah. when I have to call them for something and I dial 1-800 and I don't even get to the second zero dialed and I'm already in a rage, like I'm in a blackout rage, my hands are shaking. And <laughs> if I make it through the phone tree to an actual person, I am going to just do my best to destroy them before they ever even say their name and find out what my problem is. Like, yeah. that's not just about AT&T. That's about me feeling you know, repressed and pushed down and, and ignored and, and no one's, you know, willing to, to acknowledge the fact that I'm getting screwed over. And, you know, that goes all the way back to my childhood. And so I'm trying to punish some poor call center worker for the, the sins of the father. Right. And mm -hmm. when I'm aware of that, I can, I can get calm and, and understand that this is not a true feeling. This, this is a feeling that's got about 300 layers and it has nothing to do with the situation at hand. And I am going to set that one aside and feel something more appropriate, which is, you know, perhaps slightly defensive because this could still go wrong, but with a positive outlook right. that, you know, I am here to represent myself in the best way possible and not be a dick to somebody just because my dad was a dick to me. <laughs> but, that's right, man. You know, e emotional management is, is something that I am still so brand new at. I, I feel like I'm, I'm a, at level one and, and everybody else learned this stuff in kindergarten and I'm learning it in my 40s, right? Oh, but but the truth man, is, you know, yeah. No, it's not that that's not the way it is at all. You know, everybody is struggling to get through this. And the yep. fact that we can make noises with our mouth and even sort of communicate to other people what's going on inside of our head is amazing. But it is certainly not a, a perfect process. Like communication challenges when people are really good at communicating still happen. So so if we're not even being intentional and, and being aware of what our feelings are, you know, we're telegraphing stuff onto other people that is is unintentional and we're unaware of it half the time. And I think that the emotional management starts with being aware of what we're feeling and then being aware of, of how we're projecting that onto other people and then trying to, yeah. you know, figure out a direction that we want it to go and start making changes. But it all starts with self-awareness. Yeah. And awareness is scary and it's what will free you. And I think a lot of people avoid awareness because then with awareness, what do you do? You've got to actually make a move because now you, you right. now know what you didn't know. And now what you're going to do scary. is you're going to just, yeah, you're just going to, you're going to fight in the resistance. So awareness is beautiful because in that scary, it's like I talk about on here all the time and in a lot of our coaching programs change, you are in charge of making fear uh, from a headwind into a tailwind. And if you can do that, then awareness is your best friend. You'll want to learn more about yourself. You'll want to learn, you want to discover traumas from your childhood because in that, not only are you going to have a more fulfilling and authentic life, but you might be able to help somebody else out like you and I do. And that is right. really fulfilling. Really that fulfilling. That is amazing. So, yeah. absolutely amazing. And that's legacy. Money, I was talking to my buddy the other day and he said, and he's a, a really wealthy guy and he said, I'm not going to leave my kids anything. Because I said to him, you know, at our level, man, how do we introduce struggle to our children 
when we had to struggle to get to where we are, but we provide this lifestyle because we want to for our kids. And he said, don't give them any money. Like, I'm not going to leave them any money. I'm going to teach them how to make money. I'm going to give them loans if they want to start a business, but I'm not going to leave them with any money. They're, my legacy is what I teach them, not what I leave them with monetarily like or physically. And right. I thought, you know what? That's pretty cool. I, I, I think I agree with that. Um, and, you know, I, I, it just, it's a, it, we can go down that rabbit hole. But, um, yeah, dude, I appreciate you being on here, man. It's been, wow, shit, it's over an hour. <laughs> I appreciate you being on here and uh, really a ton of valuable information for the audience to, to, to bite on. Where can people find you if they want to get a hold of you? You can find everything you want to know about me on my website at jboydlong.com. It's J-B-O-Y-D-L-O-N-G.com. And I've got, got links it. to social media. I've got a blog on there with a lot of personal development blogs. And all of my books are listed and, and everything that you need to know. Beautiful. Justin, thanks for being here, man. The book is uh, Righteous Rage of a 10-Year-Old Boy. And I, I have not read this yet, but I... Uh, I really enjoy what I read about you. I really love this conversation. Thanks for what you're doing for the world, man, for just getting out of your own way for literally for society's sake. It's, um, it's pretty noble. I appreciate it. And I know, I know our audience certainly has. Well, thank you for having me on the show. And I really appreciate that the guys like you are creating platforms where we can have these conversations and, and help change the world. My pleasure, man. All right, audience, thanks for listening. And we will catch you on the next one.